Now you can find, listen and subscribe to Chilling with Jens and the local Danfoss Climate Solution podcast in your RevTools app. Download it from danfoss.com. Service and support. Downloads. Hi, I'm Jens Andersen from Danfoss Climate Solution. We asked you on some of the social medias if you had any particular topics you wanted us to cover. And one of the topics that stood out was LT in freezer applications. So today's topic is about freezer applications, where I have a chat with my colleague John Broughton. John, could you please give a brief introduction of yourself? Hi, Jens. Um, good to see you again. Um, Yeah, I've been in the refrigeration industry since I was 16, um, working on various types of equipment. Now work for Danfoss for some 27 years and worked on a variety of uh, Danfoss equipment. John, if we take a few steps back and look at today's topic, the freezer applications from a distance, apart from the room temperature, of course, what are the main differences say from a, a chilling, uh, you know, the usual uh, cold room uh, applications, you know, in terms of, of uh, system buildup? That's a good question, Jens, I guess. And, and one, it's got many parts, to be honest. So I'll try to summarize best I can. If we talk about low temperature freezer applications, in essence, we're still talking about, you know, a basic refrigeration system. But of course, we've got the challenge of the low evaporating temperature. And if we're talking about a freezer room, we're going to be somewhere in the region of minus 30 degrees C. We're going to be condensing, let's say, on a summer's day, uh, at least in the UK, sort of 40 degrees, uh, you know, possibly higher if the, if the ambient temperature is higher. The, the mechanical stresses, um, we put the machine under are much higher. Importantly, we've also got to ensure that the compressor itself is always operating inside its envelope for maximum um, life expectancy, let's say. And on top of those issues, we've also got the physical challenges of this low temperature itself in the deep freeze room. So, you know, thinking about defrost systems, water drainage from the evaporator, frost buildup, um, you know, door openings. You've also got things like defrost relief vents on the box itself the, the physical cold room um, to stop that uh, contracting and, and expanding so lots of things to actually take into account when we talk about a uh, freezer room yeah when building this freezer room let's let's just take the example of uh, 10 kilowatts minus 80 degrees celsius which is uh, zero degree Fahrenheit. <clears throat> what should be the first priority when selecting a component? I guess compressor or condensing units, but apart from that? Uh, let's take a step back, Jens, um, because the compressor selection, condenser uh, or condensing unit evaporator selection, including things like the expansion valve, they're the most important components and we've got to make sure that they are you know, selected correctly for the application. As I said previously, the compressor needs to be operating within its operating envelope um, at basically all stages of the the running process. Um, But also after things like defrost. Now, when we bring an evaporator off defrost, the 
suction temperature, the suction pressure is much higher. So we've got to make sure that that suction pressure doesn't come outside the operating envelope of the machine that the compressor for any length of time. Otherwise, that's going to cause you know challenges, and we might overload the compressor motor because the uh, it's pulling too high amps, things like that. Um, the condenser that needs to be able to eject all the heat that we're actually pulling out of the room, but also the heat of compression from the uh, compressor itself. And in deep freeze applications, that's actually greater than a medium temperature room. So the location of the condenser, you know, clean condenser, good airflow, all of that is incredibly important the lower in temperature we go because the lower in temperature we go, everything becomes much more important uh, to get everything right. The, the other components, the evaporator needs to be matched to the duty and the, the operating conditions. We've got to ensure that we work on the right uh, delta T between the evaporating temperature and the room temperature. In deep freeze, that's roughly six Kelvin. Um, we've got to think about things like the fin spacing on the evaporator. Make sure the fin spacing is not too, uh, too tight so the evaporator doesn't get blocked with frost too quickly, uh, too easily. Uh, got to think about the defrost heaters, make sure we've got enough defrost heaters that will defrost the evaporator uh, suitably for the temperature that we're working with and the amount of moisture that we have in the store, and then things like the defrost control systems itself. So there's a lot of you know, things to think about, I guess. So it is, when we're talking freezer, or freezer applications, it is quite a bit more complex than uh, you'd say the median temperature uh, applications. But what about the refrigerants? I guess there'll be refrigerants that you um, maybe shouldn't consider for uh, freezing uh, applications. I, I guess, I mean, the, the topic of, of uh, refrigerants is uh, quite an interesting topic. And at the moment, there's somewhere in the region of 70 plus available refrigerants to choose from. So how to choose what works? Well, the, the major consideration is the pressure temperature relationship um, at the pressures and temperatures that we're going to be working at. So as we said, if we're evaporating minus 30 degrees C, um, it would be beneficial to have a positive suction pressure. Um, then, of course, we've got things like the classification of the refrigerant. Is it A1, A2L, A3? Uh, think about the safety side of the, the system. And then we've got to think things like discharge temperature levels so we don't actually cook the compressor and degrade the oil. Certain refrigerants um, have or run with higher discharge temperatures than others. So the, there's lots to think about. Uh, I guess the major point is to say that always use a, a refrigerant that is approved for use with that particular uh, piece or pieces of refrigeration equipment. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to retrofit a system, then you really need to look at that process in, in detail to make sure that the refrigerant you're replacing um, and the, the new refrigerant works as it should be and you're not going to have any detrimental effects either loss of capacity things like that high discharge temperatures um, so there's a lot to think about with refrigerants but as i said really that decision is is almost taken care of by the refrigerant of the equipment manufacturer like danfoss because you know we sell a range of components that work with refrigerants and when we're talking low temperature, they're dedicated for that type of application. Yeah, yeah, I see. 
Um, if if we're talking uh, defrosting and electric defrosting in particular, um, I guess it's about that that electrical defrosting is more about um, say timing and you know when to uh, close that particular solenoid valve, start the fan, stop the fans, and so on and so forth. Is that correct? The the basic answer is is yes. Um, with particularly low temperature systems, um, we should always pump down the system first so that we clear the evaporator of refrigerant. Um, so the defrost heaters are not doing the job of heating up the refrigerant and then the evaporator itself. Um, so we pump down the system, we clear the, the evaporator of refrigerant, and then the defrost period starts, the heaters are energized. Now they should be energized long enough to clear the frost on the evaporator, but no more. So generally you would have a temperature terminated timer security setup. So you'd set your termination temperature for your defrost heaters. Um, there's many different decisions on on what temperature you, you should set that to. Um, some people say eight degrees, some people say 12 degrees, some people say 15 degrees, but basically you need to commission the system to ensure that when the when the defrost is terminated, that the evaporator is clear of ice. Um, mm. That's the main thing. Otherwise, we're just adding extra heat into the room, which then needs to be removed by the refrigeration uh, equipment again. And then after defrost, there's very two important stages, particularly with uh, freezer rooms. We've got the dip down stage, uh, and then we've also got the fan delay or the snap freeze. Now, the uh, drip down time is when the heaters are off, the refrigeration equipment's not running, the fans are not running, and we're just allowing any moisture on that coil to drip off. Um, so we, what we don't want is residual moisture left on the fins of the evaporator. So we have a, a nice drip down time, and it's much better to have a, a longer drip down time. So five minutes is uh, one that I generally put when I'm on a system. And then after that, we have the, the fan delay or the snap freeze. Now, in that particular part, the refrigeration system then starts up, but the evaporator fans don't run. And the idea being is that we don't uh, blow any of that. If there's any moisture left on the fins, we don't blow moisture out into the room. We snap freeze it onto the uh, evaporator fins. And then after, let's say, a minute, we then start the fans. And those particular parts of the defrost cycle in freezer rooms are incredibly important. Um, you've got to be careful with your uh, fan delay snap freeze time because we've got the refrigeration system running, but we've not got the evaporator fans running. So I wouldn't set that for any longer than a minute because what we don't want to do is induce liquid back to the machine either. So mm -hmm. you have to be a little bit careful with uh, the, the fan delay stroke snap freeze part of that. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, very, very important is to get the defrost system right. And as I always say to people, you've got to make sure that you commission the system. Don't just turn it on, walk away. No, no. Please, you know, check things. Yeah, yeah, and and I guess this, the 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 entire setting of the timing will also depend on uh, a few tests runs, I guess. Yes, correct. Yeah, and and that is you know that part of the commissioning process is to make sure that you you check that your defrost heaters and the time and the determination temperature are actually clearing the the frost on the evaporator. Yeah, yeah I see. Uh, John, 
I've seen snow in front of evaporate uh, in in front of the evaporators in deep freeze rooms. What is what is the re- reason for this snowfall? Um, yeah, snow. It, it's quite interesting actually. And in some rooms, you can go in and it almost looks like a winter wonderland mm-hmm. with the amount of you know snow that is uh, evident in the room. And this is, as I said, it's the moisture that's blown out of the evaporator after defrosting so they've either got a very short or non-existent drip down time Um, they might not have a fan delay or a snap freeze moment on that so as soon as the defrosting is finished they basically turn the fans back on turn the refrigeration system back on and any residual moisture that's on the fins is just blown out and as it's blown out into the cold air it basically turns into snow so you'll see it uh, you know hanging from the ceiling uh, in front of the evaporators or on the fan guards things like that and i've seen some quite classic examples of this Um, you know it really looks like uh, a winter wonderland so to speak so thinking about the evaporator what special precautions should we take in freezer applications uh, more so than in, say, a cold room for, I don't know, two degrees Celsius, for instance? Um, I would say sort of general rules apply whether we're talking freezer rooms or, or cold room. But when, when we're in a freezer room, things become, as, as I said, a little bit more important and you've got to make sure that everything is correct. Um, Things like airflow around the evaporator, that is incredibly important. We need a good airflow around the evaporator. Um, We don't want it being boxed in by product, um, which is always a challenge when you're working in in any form of of cold room, particularly in deep freeze cold rooms. Um, So airflow around the evaporator, but also air throw and flow around the freezer room itself because what we're trying to do is we're trying to throw that air out from the evaporator around the products and then bring that obviously heat from the products back to the evaporator in the return air so we've got to make sure that that air throw and flow from the evaporator reaches the the furthest part of the cold room or freezer room and the products that are there so we don't want any dead air spots if you like within the room mm-hmm. um so that that's important. What I've always said is that you're trying to wrap the product with cold air, um, yeah. and you can't do that if that air is not reaching that you know product. Let's say, um, got to make sure the location of the evaporator, get it as far away from the doors as you possibly can, so we don't attract too much moisture onto the fins. Particularly in uh, deep freeze applications, if you've got an evaporator above above a door, every time they open the door warm moist air from the outside uh, gets dragged in and you know that moisture will uh, deposit itself on the evaporator which blocks air air flow Um, but then also we're using extra refrigeration capacity as well to heat up that warm air so that that's an important topic Um, you know we've got we've got the the defrost challenges as we've spoke about already we don't want to add to that with with more moisture being brought into the store Um, other topics would be things like the condensate drain and that's the that's the 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 drain that drains away the defrosted water from the evaporator um, should always be insulated, should always use a, a heater tape to stop it freezing. It should be free flowing and big enough to cope with the volume of water that's being melted off the evaporator. As a, as a general sort of rule of thumb, you should always continue that drain pipe in the same size as the connector on the drain pan of the evaporator. 
and most importantly use a use a, a pipe material that is self-supporting uh, so it doesn't sag. I've seen in some instances where people have used plastic pipe from the drain, uh, took it you know, from the evaporator to the wall, which might be uh, in big systems, might be uh, a metre, a couple of metres away from the wall, and they've used a plastic pipe that's not self-supporting and it's uh, you know, sagged. Mm. So uh, you've got to make sure that that is uh, important. Always got to make sure you've got a uh, trap on that drain pipe, but make sure the trap is outside the refrigerated space, otherwise it will freeze. Um, also got to make sure that if you, that a trap is actually installed. If you don't install a trap, you will actually pull, the action of the evaporator fans will pull moisture up the drain pipe uh, oh. and back onto the evaporator again, which is oh. a sort of strange phenomenon. And you'll see it because it forms frost on the bottom of the evaporator. It's a bit yeah. of a strange one. Yeah. Um, so th there's a lot to think about regarding evaporators. And we could probably talk for, for quite a while uh, on sort of cold rooms and cold room design. Um, mm. it, it's almost a topic in in, it, in, in itself, Jens, to be fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, coming back to the compressor, you mentioned uh, keeping the compressor inside the operating envelope is that is that more a challenge when we're talking freezer rooms in in general it depends on the compressor envelope you know brand of compressor so on and so forth most low temperature compressors will have a fairly narrow evaporating range um and and the 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 issue and i think as i said before after defrost, the suction pressure can get very close to the edge of the envelope, causing the mm. compressor motor, you know, to pull high amps because we've got uh, we've got warm suction vapor coming back. Um, as an example, I'm thinking of let's say one of the Danfoss compressors. The the low side of the envelope is minus 40 to minus 10. Now. If you're evaporating in a deep freeze room, your suction pressure temperature might get, you know, close to that minus 10 when you're starting up after a defrost because you put all that extra heat into the evaporator. So you've got to be a little bit wary of that uh, situation, particularly after defrost and use that by uh, control strategies for the defrost. If you still have challenges, then you can install things like a crankcase pressure regulating valve to limit that suction pressure the compressor sees when it starts up. So there is ways and means to mitigate that. Mm. Um, that said, compressors, you know, they can cope with what are called transient conditions at the edge of the envelope, but only for short periods of time and frequency. If we operate a compressor at the the edge of the envelope for a long time then generally you're going to cause premature failure of that compressor so mm. it is important to make sure that how the system is operating is uh, you know keep that machine in its uh, nice operating uh, place yeah yeah and 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 talking about compressors or the compressor itself um, the oil the lubrication, what effect will that low temperature have on 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 the oil uh, in a in a in a cold freezer room? Mm. Well, I think as I've probably said before in uh, many sort of training sessions and things, oil is the lifeblood of the compressor. Mm. 
And so long as it's in the compressor, that's brilliant. It, it's doing its job. However, by the action of the compressor, um, you know, oil will uh, be entrained in the discharge vapor and it will move around the system. Now, it's it's vitally important to have things like the correct suction pipe velocities and good pipe design to bring as much of that oil back to the system as possible. And that is the same for whether it is low temperature systems, medium temperature systems, high temperature systems. But, you know, more so in low temperature systems because the colder you're evaporating, that oil becomes uh, less viscous as the temperature drops. Um, so you've got to be aware of things like that. Now, because that uh, oil can become less viscous, it can get stuck in places like the evaporator, um, as we said, because the temperature is lower. So there is a real need for good pipe design and utilising things like oil traps, swan necks, goosenecks on the evaporator to actually bring that oil back to the machine. Mm. Um, one method um, to do that would be to use an oil separator on the discharge line so that we capture a percentage of the oil that's carried over by the compressor before it enters the rest of the system and then return that back to the compressor to you know do its job as a lubricant uh, before it disappears into the rest of the system. The other challenge with with oil is that um, you know it can get stuck uh, it, it coats the the inside of the pipes and the tubes, and it, it's not uh, it's an insulator, so you can get a reduction in capacity as well, or reduction in performance, let's say, of your condenser and your end of your evaporator. So system efficiency sort of falls away yeah. a little bit as well. Yeah. So, so again, quite a good topic. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it's. Uh, yeah, it has as many uh, effects the oil. Mm. Um, John, you mentioned in the beginning that freezer applications put more stress on the uh, compressor, and that's actually also what we are talking about right now. But can you please uh, can you please explain why this is a challenge and uh, what may cause this? Yes, um, basically it, it comes down to the temperature lift or the work the compressor has to do. Now, if we think of a freezing application, and I'll have to get my comparator out a minute ago, um, but if we've got a suction gas at, let's say, minus 20 back at the machine, obviously we've got superheat in there, we're evaporating minus 30. Um, so let's say suction gas back at the machine, minus 20. On a summer's day condensing, we said about plus 40. That's a 60 Kelvin lift between evaporating and condensing. Now, if we take that in pressure, um, thinking off the top of my head, we'd have roughly somewhere sort of 0 0.08 bar and let's say about a 16 bar head pressure or discharge pressure. That's about a 15 bar delta uh, P across the compressor. Um, if you then took a, a medium temperature application and again thinking off the top of my head, you might have a delta P of maybe 12 bar because your evaporating temperature is a lot higher. Your condensing temperature stays roughly the same because, you know, high ambient uh, in, a, in a summer's day, but your your pressure across your machine is a little bit less. Now this, this extra pressure or temperature lift that we put on the compressor, that puts a lot more stress on the bearing surfaces, all, all, all the moving parts of the machine. And in that instance, it's, it's actually more critical in low temperature systems to have 
not only the right level of oil in the crankcase, but also good quality um, clean oil that's not been degraded by things like running high discharge temperatures. Um, if we run a high discharge temperature, then we start to basically break down the uh, oil that we need in the compressor to use as a lubricant. So that is something else that we need to keep a, a close eye on in deep freeze applications is the suction superheat or the, or the level of suction superheat that's actually coming back to the machine. Um, if we have too high suction superheat, then we also start to have a very high discharge temperature, which has a bad effect on the oil. Uh, so all those sort of things together, we really need to uh, you know, look after the machine and keep that compressor yeah, happy and, and operating in it in its sweet spot, as I call it. Great, thank you, John. Um, I can sort of sense that we have plenty of topics to talk about in in a later podcast. So we'll be back about um, maybe something about evaporators in general, et cetera, et cetera, what to take into consideration, and so on and so forth. Um, but thank you, John. Thank you so much for for your time and uh, your deep knowledge about this. Uh, thank you, John. Thank you, Jens. Always uh, good to talk. And as you say, there's uh, you know lots of topics we can sort of talk about and continue. So I look forward to that. Thanks a lot. Please don't hesitate to write us about any topic that you would like us to cover in the near future. But I think I can promise you that we will look a bit closer into the oil and lubrication issues uh, mentioned in the po this podcast within too long. So please remember, contact us on any channel with your suggestions and above all, remember to stay cool.